Hey Sema, so I was just wondering if you could also tell us a bit about yourself and your early life. Yes, I was born in southeast Turkey, Kosovo, in Bordeaux, a very small town. And where I was born, you know, being a girl is quite challenging because everyone expects mothers to produce boys. And I do say produce because women are seen as machines. You know, they are not supposed to get sick. They're not supposed to complain, you know, no complain. Just continue, you know, working, continue cleaning your house, continue feeding your children, continue making your husband happy regardless of what happens. Um, so that, you know, women are expected to be very, very resilient. And this is why a lot of mental health issues come up. I was one of the one of the four girls in the family um, and obviously my father wasn't happy, the rest of the family, they weren't happy because we didn't have any boys. Um, but my mom was very happy, she always wanted girls <laughs> and because she wasn't get, able to get education, she was, you know, subject to child marriage, forced marriage and child labour. She just said, I, all I want is to have girls, a big family and girls to be educated. They will not be like me, they will be anything that I'm not and you know they will go ahead and take over the world so yeah quite a big feminist <laughs> yeah honestly um i was also wondering if you could talk to us a bit about uh, that journey into work did you study in turkey or did you uh, how did you find your way um towards yeah higher education if so yeah so i was educated um in turkey i moved to the uk five years ago as an adult um, but yeah, in Turkey, like I said, it was very challenging. Um, I had to walk to school two hours and two hours back, so four hours journey just to get to school. And, and where I was, again, as I said, like it was very unusual for girls to go to school. My first three years, most of the class was, you know, we, we had more boys than girls. And, you know, the girls had to be more preserved um, in the class to survive. Um, and then we would see along the way, you know, next year, some of the classroom, you know, friends who are girls would drop out because they would be subjected to child labor. And then, you know, every year you go on, there will be less and less girls and more and more boys. So in that kind of environment, basically, it was very challenging. But I knew that if I could just get myself to that building and if I could just get that certification, the graduation document, that then that can get me to places, even though the education I got wasn't very great. And I had to self-teach a lot of things by reading lots of books. Mm -hmm. And in a way, books were my way of escape. And I ended up being one of the 200 kids in the country to get scholarship, to get educated in English. And that led me to go to a very good university in Turkey. And I studied literature, again, escapism. You know, I found myself in books and I knew what was out there for me through books. Mm. And yeah, um, during university, I've done a big travel around the world. Some of them were solo and that was way of me claiming my freedom as a woman yeah. and after my education basically i said i can't live in turkey because there are no opportunities for me because i don't know anyone you know i don't come from wealth and you know with my family's situation obviously they didn't want me to thrive or success you know succeed um so yeah i basically um along the journey met my husband now husband and even though and i wanted to move elsewhere i ended up you know coming to london <laughs> So your initial plan was not to come to the UK, just, it just happened like that? <laughs> no, I actually never thought I would live in London, you know, but it, it surprises me because I've seen so many movies as a child or read so yeah. many books that took place in London. Never in a million years I would think I would end up in London. Um, I thought I would end up, I don't know, somewhere else, like within Europe or States, um, doing feminist work, charity work. But yeah, it was a big surprise for me. But now, you know, that I've been here, I quite like being in London. 
I like that there's a lot of opportunities within the charity yeah. world, you know. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I was also um, I was also wondering if you could share with us some specific moments along the way that inspired you to work with an advocacy for women and girls. Like, it doesn't have to be um, something specific, but maybe some moments in your life you can recall that clearly opened that idea in your mind. Wow, this is what I really want to dedicate myself to. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah, I think um, thinking about my childhood, me and my sisters and a lot of my friends, um, I call all of them my sisters, I don't believe mm -hmm. we needed reminders. You know, yeah. sometimes, you know, when you see on the news there's an earthquake or something that shakes people like COVID and a lot of people consider their behavior, their lifestyle and everything that's going on. So in our lives, we did not need that. We did not need external reminders because we always knew what we were, you know, the situation we were in. But we knew that we were not equal to you know men in the society we knew that the opportunities weren't available to us and you know even when i was like five on the playground i would gather a group of children you know set up an imaginary company and be a leader and you know change the subject and you know be a leader and do things like activism and teach them and i don't know how this came about maybe from reading books uh, but i always got inspired and you know inspired people as well and in high school um, i've done a lot of actually i can say i was a community ambassador in the high school because i did not want to shut up <laughs> i always found myself getting in huge troubles you know nearly got kicked out of school because of speaking up for girls rights um, and yeah, I would just gather a group of people and try to do things. And I think that was my, my way of get, being an activist. You know, day one, I was, a, I was yeah. born an activist. You don't have to become one. And I think, like I said, with my childhood, considering what my friends have been through, a lot of the people I grew up with now are in horrible situations. You know, they end up being, uh, ended up being in a child marriage, forced marriage. You know, they had kids that they didn't want to have and, you know, they wanted to go to university. They couldn't have done that. They wanted to work. And when you think about that, our work is not done and it's yeah. never ending. And like Oda said, we are not going anywhere until every single woman has you know, access to safety, to yeah. freedom and to access to thrive as well. And when you think about it, you are missing out on millions of women's you know, potential stories, what they could have done. Yeah, thank you so much for, for, for sharing those experiences. I was also... Um, I was also going to ask if why advocating for stopping FGM and gender-based violence is an important topic. You already covered that um, your background, your lived experiences, your daily life and, and yeah, experiences that you had to go through daily shape those. But is there also some, some turning point in your life that made you want to really start thinking on how to like advocating for gender-based violence and stopping FGM yeah. from happening. Um, I think FGM and gender-based violence, stopping any form of gender-based violence is everyone's work. It should yeah. be everyone's yeah. homework, it should be everyone's concern. But when I was, especially during my travels, um, you know, when I was 18, um, going around the world, I've just noticed, you know, I was in a completely different continent and I met you know, women from different cultures, yet it felt so familiar, especially when I went to Africa. I'm, I just thought I'm from Middle East and what, what they are going through is 
very similar to what I'm going through, very similar to what my mum has been through. And then, you know, I later on I've done solo travels to, you know, Ukraine, to Belarus, to Russia. And I've noticed the problems there, even though they're slightly different, women are suffering everywhere in the world. Whether, you know, you're a woman who's working in Liverpool Street in a glass building, or, you know, you go to Somalia, you go to Turkey, they have different issues, but, you know, there are still these issues. And this is all because of patriarchy. And we didn't have to go through this. We don't have to suffer. You know, we, do, we can make the change. What other work did you do before coming to Avengers and how that inspired you? Before the Avengers, I have not actually worked in um, gender-based violence field in the charity world. I've worked in healthcare and you know, well-being uh, sectors, but you know, in, in within the nonprofit. But I, as I said before, then I was always an activist. I was always fight, fighting to end a gender-based violence. It was just not, you know not under an official name. Mm-hmm. And you know, in in one of the events, I've mentioned this, but I think we are just born of Avenger if we are you know speaking up, if we are writing, if we are sharing these thoughts. And also, could you tell us a bit more about Avengers and plans for the charity going forward? Oh, yes. We're going to take over the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have big plans. And just when you think about it, seven years um, since we were founded by Hoda and Mabel, we've come a very, very long way. Um, And it's very unusual for a charity this young to be registered in the last three years and before then run by activists to have succeeded this long because we have been, you know, supported by the Home Office. We have been supported by very well-known organizations and we are continuing to receive that support and funding from individuals, from people, from grant bodies. I think we are being recognized because we are very genuine. And what makes us very special is we are led by and for type organization. So we always have empathy whenever we decide, whenever there's a decision making, we always talk to each other. We always talk about our experiences. And Hoda can tell you a bit more about that, but like every single decision we make within the charity is always for the people we are supporting, not for any other strategic reason. There is no angle when we create our you know, support lines. And could you tell us a bit more about your community-based initiatives within London and what impacts have you seen this have? So for instance, a support hub in Southwark? Yeah. Um, we have been um, collaborating with KDLK, an amazing, incredible organization run by a survivor. And that work has been going on for a few years. And we basically piloted a program there. And we wanted to see what the women um, and girls we were supporting really needed. Um, and I think it was so, so successful over the years. You know, we have seen so many people coming in to receive support. We've done things that, that hasn't been done before. Um, we've decided to basically make this London light for people to just visit these support hubs in their own neighborhoods. And that's why we thought about a pop-up approach because we want to understand where we are most needed. Unfortunately, and, and I hate saying unfortunately because it's not fortunate, it's people making, um, the data is not accurate. We are campaigning for one question campaign where we can ask women if they had FGM in a proper manner and that would really help us understand. But as campaigners, as organizations, we are really struggling to understand where we are needed. And community hubs where we can meet people one-to-one is really the only way we can understand their issues. Because a lot of the times, the, the women and girls we are supporting, they don't go to official buildings. They do not visit, you know, a majority of them do not go to the NHS buildings. They, they don't go to, um, to receive the support and that's why we are trying to create the safe environment where we inform of their rights whether legal um, or what services available to them in the UK 
and you know we also plug in very essential um, support such as food support you know if we have some food we'll bring it mm. and there will be wow. period pads to tackle poverty and there will be women who have experienced FGM or gender-based violence so that safe space is very much needed and important because when someone talks about their own experience and running that workshop by that person, we're basically empowering survivors, paying them so they can create a way of employment, but also the women and girls that will feel very much safe to open up about their own issues. And they can know that it's all confidential. There is no angle, like I said, we're just there to support them and they just all start talking. And then what we do is create some feedback form, again, all confidential. And we yeah. feed that back to the government, we feed that back to the healthcare organisations, we feed it back wherever it's needed, funders, so that we can understand and continue resolving the issue in a more analytic way. Wow, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, also, could you tell us a bit more about uh, Avengers educational programmes and also the impact that you've seen these this educational programmes have? Yeah, so we've decided to launch our educational program again because we've noticed that a lot of the survivors and activists have been exploited for many, many years. Like we want to talk, you know, we want to educate people, but that shouldn't come for free. Um, so many of the community ambassadors we work with, you know, they are having to put their kids into childcare, and that costs a lot of money. It shouldn't cost people to talk about, you know, education, talk about FGM, talk about gender-based violence. They shouldn't basically take it out on their own well-being or family time to do that because so many women have already have full-time jobs and you know yeah. if they are doing this work they do it in the evenings they do it on the weekends so we are basically talking about how can we capitalize that how can we make sure that the survivors have a means of you know financial support and they don't talk for free if you were to invite an inspirational speaker to talk about let's say finances in a conference you wouldn't invite them for free because their time is valued so we just want to say the survivor's time is as valuable as anybody else and it's not their homework to educate the you know whole world for free just because they've been through this and we, we want that to change basically so we've launched our educational session and there's a budget to you know pay our staff members for research time including the ambassadors pay for the, you know, the hourly rates that they are spending on this project, educating people. But that has been incredibly supportive because as we were piloting this, some of the sessions we've offered for free to see what we could get out of it, you know, to model it and to put the right um, presentation in to see what people wanted. And a lot of the sessions that we've done, actually, a lot of so many people, I would say over 90 percent of the people based on the data uh, we have um, post event survey survey, they just said, you know, we have actually never heard of, heard of FGM in this much detail. If they knew it was a five minutes Internet research, again, that can be very unreliable because any anyone can write anything up mm -hmm. on the Internet. And they said, you know, they didn't know the impact it had, you know, mentally, psychologically and, you know, on physically. And we're talking about midwives, we're talking about, you know, doulas, we're talking about professionals. And when professionals said these things, they're actually caring for FGM survivors, but are they caring when they come across? And we want to change that and offer the educational sessions to healthcare organizations, to corporations, to businesses, to small groups of people, everyone. It's kind of like bell hooks feminism for everybody it's yeah. fgm and gender mm -hmm. based violence for everyone if you don't know anything these three hours will transform your life yeah. and not only you will have the knowledge but you will walk away as an activist you will walk away you know if you come across your neighbor being a survivor of gender-based violence or at risk 
then you will have the tools and knowledge. If they say, I don't feel comfortable, I don't think it's my place to talk about it, after this educational session, they will feel very much comfortable because they will have an in-depth understanding. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you as well for bringing bell hooks because previously when we had, when Hoda was talking about child's right, it really, and I had bell hooks on my mind. She has this chapter in one of her books all about love where she talks extend, in an extensive way about, um, about child's right, uh, child's rights. And mm -hmm. anyways, yeah, I think it's a beautiful reference to have here with us. And um, could you finally tell us a bit about any other projects that you are soon, soon starting with Avengers? Um, of course, I mean, we have a lot going on. We are working very, very hard because it doesn't seem like work for us. Um, so <laughs> everything we do comes under campaigning, education or direct support. We're about to launch a series of videos educating people and creating awareness, short films, full films, and that will be our awareness work as well as our social media campaigning, collaborating with organizations, governments to end FGM and gender violence, gender-based gender violence. So we are collaborating with governments, with organizations, with everyone. Um, and then we have our support hubs, which we are piloting within London in different regions so that women don't have to travel, travel far um, to get there. And once, once we understand where we are needed, we will then you know, launch very much permanent hubs um, and then in the rest of the UK, when we are done with the rest of the UK, then we are planning to do it in, with a more global organized um, global. Mm, then we are planning to do it with a more global approach by collaborating with activists and organizations. Um, and our other part of work is, of course, the education that I've mentioned. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs>